Praise God. We're going tonight to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus chapter 25. Again, thank you so very much to our praise team and our musicians and our choir. I love to worship God with you. I love to worship God with you. Amen. And uh, I've tried. I've tried to worship the Lord with you at home through video, and it's not the same. I like worshiping with you. I'm glad to be right here in the house. Amen. I love it. I love having open altars in this church. That you can come forward anytime you want to come forward and be prayed for. Y'all believe James was telling the truth when he said we can have the sick come forth. And that the elders of the church can lay hands on them and pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. I'm sorry. I still believe it. I don't, I don't care what the science says. I believe there's healing in the name of Jesus. Praise God. I believe there's healing in the name of Jesus. And so tonight I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful to be a part of a praying church. We're going to keep turning it up until the Lord comes back. When he comes back, I hope he finds us busy. Praise God. Working in his kingdom. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to read to you a few verses here in 25 of Exodus, 25 of Exodus, in verse number 10. We're receiving instructions for Moses building the tabernacle. They shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall the length uh, be thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof, overlay it with pure gold within. And without, thou shalt overlay it. Thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be on the one side of it and two rings in the other side of it. Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the side of the ark. That the ark may be born with them. This doesn't sound like a stationary piece of furniture. Tell your neighbor, I believe in rings. <laughs> I know there's going to be some folks watching that they're going to turn it off right now because I said that. He said, it's going to be a, it's going to be a place where my presence is, but I, I want you to put some rings on that, and I want you to get some staves because this thing is going to move. It's going to move. How many of you believe the church ought to be on the move? Praise God. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. Don't ever get comfortable just letting it stand still. Thou shalt put into the ark of the testimony that which I shall give thee. And there's some really powerful stuff about this. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more uh, in just a few moments. But tonight I want to talk to you from this simple subject, if I may. First, worship. First, worship. You may be seated in Jesus' name. God was commanding the people of Israel to build the furnishings and the vessels for worship. It's incredible to me how God never wastes words and He never wastes order. And everything that He says, He says for a reason. And there is an order to everything that he does. We can see that established from the creation of all that is visible and invisible in the Genesis account. We can see that to our daily lives, the things that we have been through, knowing that there were seasons in our lives that we thought at the time were going to kill us and going to break us. Looking back on that, we see all that it was doing was making us a little more tough, giving us a little more grit. For what we were going to face the next time that we didn't think we could make it through that we thought was going to kill us. Come on, anybody here testify to that tonight? 
You look back on it now and you think, my goodness, when I was going through it, I thought there was no way I was coming out of it. But now that I look back on it, I see God was building my character and he was working on me and he was forming me and molding me. Why are you saying that, Pastor? Because somebody in this place tonight is in a place where you feel like you're not going to make it and you're not going to come through and you're not going to come out. But I want you to reflect back on what you've already been through and just know if you made it through that, you're going to make it through this. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't left you alone. You are going to make it. Yes. Somebody shout it tonight. I'm going to make it. You got to get convinced of that tonight. You're going to make it. But order comes from God. Whatever we need for tomorrow, he provides today. That was order that was established in creation. He will create today what tomorrow needs. He is a God that is on time. Maybe I need to say that again. I said he is a God. Woo! Boy, I feel something right there now. He is a God that is on time. The song said he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Woo, I feel him in the house right now. Mary and Martha said you're late. But can I tell you that even when he was four days late, he was still right on time. I know this is probably contrary to popular opinion, but there's some folks in here that say we walk by faith and you've tied a knot at the end of the rope four or five times and you're just hanging on. Can I shift your thinking tonight and tell somebody that just keeps hanging on, quit hanging on and just turn loose. Quit hanging on trying to figure out how you're going to do it. You're not going to do it anyway. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God has never failed you. He's always come through and he's coming through right now. If y'all don't quit, I'm never going to get through this tonight. Somebody ought to testify in this house tonight. He has never failed me. He has never left me. He... Oh, something happens when people start testifying. You do know in the end of this book, there is a vision of overcomers that overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. May be seated. So the Lord is establishing things in order as he always does. But I found it very interesting. In Exodus, the 25th chapter, the 21st through the 22nd verse, we see that the Lord commanded them in building this ark, what we call the ark of the covenant, the ark of testimony. To put a mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And verse 22 is vitally important to the context of where we are tonight. And there, somebody say there. Where? At the mercy seat. There. I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony. So I want you to understand tonight that we have a very clear picture of how the Lord wanted the ark of the covenant to be built and what the purpose of that ark was. 
It was the place where the Shekinah glory of Almighty God would dwell on that mercy seat. You can believe it however you want to believe it. I choose to believe it the Bible way. That is where the physical manifested presence of God dwelt in a fire on that mercy seat. I believe that if you would have walked into that room in the Holy of Holies, you would have known beyond a doubt you had walked into the presence of the Lord. I believe tonight that when the Lord said, I will meet you there, that's what he meant. I believe the Lord met his people at the mercy seat. But there's something very interesting in, our, in the context of this story as it's unfolding that you'll notice that I find to be very unique. And if you've studied the tabernacle plan at all, if you've prayed the tabernacle, if you've walked through it, which I love, I've prayed it for years. I've walked through the tabernacle as many days as I can. I love to pray in the tabernacle. But I find it very interesting that the Lord is laying out the plan for this ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, and there is no tabernacle yet. There is no holy of holies. God's having them build an ark to go into a dwelling place that has yet to be constructed. God is giving the children of Israel a blueprint whereby he will allow them to approach his presence. Now I'm going to mess with you right here. Because God is not giving them something, nor is he doing something for them. The Lord did not say that I'm going to build this ark for you. He did not say you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and the ark of the covenant will be built the way that I want it to. And it will be seated right outside your door. And then I'll tell you how to deal with my presence. The Lord said if you want my presence coming close to you, then I need you to tune your ear into what I'm saying right now. And there's going to be a way that you're going to approach me. And I need you to hear the words that are coming out of the mouth of God. If you want my presence, you're going to have to go after my presence. I want to tell you in this house tonight that God doesn't just give his presence to anybody, anywhere, at any time. Now this takes us to an interesting, uh, an interesting debate because some say, well, you know, pastor, he is omnipresent. Oh, yes. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's the only, the only being the only way that we can describe him. He's the only one we know that can fill all things at any point in time. Uh, uh, I, I am not. I am not a modalist. I do not believe that he can only be the father in creation, the son of redemption, the spirit in the church at one time. And he has to stop being the other to, to be one of the other. I believe he can work in your heart. He can work in my heart. I believe he can create. I believe he can redeem. I believe he can fill. I believe he can be the line of the tribe of Judah and the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I believe he can be the alpha and the omega. I believe he can be the beginning and the ending. I believe he can be the first and he can be the last. Why? Because he's everywhere at all times. He never stops being God everywhere. But there is a difference in knowing that he's near because his presence is there. And what was manifested on that mercy seat as the Shekinah glory of God. There is a difference in just knowing that his presence fills the earth. And knowing that you have walked into a dimension that is by far different than anything that you're used to dwelling in in humanity. That's why when we pray, we are to pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. As you walk into the kingdom of God in the earth, everything changes. When you walk into a room where his presence has been manifested, you realize that there were cancerous tumors that have dwelled on a person's body that have been there for years and years. But when they walk into the presence 
of God all of a sudden oh my God I feel him right now everything changes when you walk in I'm telling you right now that the man who was born blind when he comes in contact with the presence I want God to shake us in this room tonight. I'm saying that the man who's born blind that walks into his presence leaves seeing. So we know that Lazarus had been dead for four days. And we know God was there when he died. So why didn't he raise him up then? Because his presence was there. It's undeniable if you believe that God is omnipresent that his presence were there. But what difference did it make when the manifested presence of God, John 1, 14, comes walking up to the grave. Mm. His spirit was dwelling there when Lazarus died. But when God manifests in the flesh, walks up to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. There was a defined difference that the presence of God had just manifested and things that were dead were now coming to life. I feel like telling you in this house tonight, there is a difference in knowing that he exists and being able to touch him. How long you been sick? 12 years. What'd you try to do? I've been to every doctor I know. I've spent everything I've got. What makes you so certain today is going to be different if I can but touch him? <laughs> if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Uh, did anybody see Jesus come hunting her out? Did anybody see Jesus pushing through the press saying, I'm looking for the lady that's had the issue for 12 years? No. But the woman with the issue said, I plan on pressing until I touch him. Because somebody told me that, that this Jesus was able to heal me. I've tried everything else and it's all failed. I want to touch him. understand me when I tell you that the focus here is not the ark but rather the place of meeting God wants his people to meet with him I don't believe that the ark of the covenant had any power of its own it was wood and gold. Oh, God, I, I, I want to help somebody here. It was not in the ark. It was in the glory that rested on the ark. I wish some of you had quit letting the devil tell you you don't deserve to be used of God. It's not in who you are. It's who dwells in you. You don't deserve to be used by God. You've got a past. You do understand that the gold that was on that wood had to be melted down and purified. I don't care what your past looks like. It's not. It's not the vessel. It's the glory. I want my people to come to me. I want my people to worship me. I said this the other night in my teaching. It's kind of interesting when you start comparing the visitations with God. He came to Adam and Eve in the garden. Came to Moses on the mountain. To the burning bush. But the Lord said, I want a tabernacle because I came to you in the garden, but you'll come to me through the tabernacle. 
You're going to make an effort to come. You're going to make an effort to come to me. I wish there was a way that I could preach this one time in my life that it would just, it would just fit right. You know, we all live, every preacher lives with that hope that one Sunday we're going to say it just right. Man, I, some, some of the things I've preached in this church, I've preached them a thousand times before I ever hold a microphone. Because I'm like, God, I want to I say it just right. I want it to be on this Sunday, Lord, that this, that person we've been reaching for finally acquiesces to the idea that they need you as bad as we think they need you. But I can't touch him for you. And I can't be saved for you. Can I say it tonight? If you want to touch Jesus, you're going to have to make an effort to reach out and touch him. The tabernacle for worship eventually contains many different pieces of furniture and vessels for worship, which we don't have time to go into in depth tonight. But the first object of affection was the ark. I want you to build the ark. I want there to be a place where my presence can dwell because I want people to come to my presence. I want you to notice the principle of worship that is established here. God told the Israelites, not in the King James, but in fast forward, he said, don't build the outer court first. Don't construct the altar of sacrifice first. Don't build the table of shoe bread first. Don't build the altar of incense first. Build the ark of the covenant first. Why? Because this is where my glory resides. Now we know now, once this is established, there has to be order on how we get to him. I heard some things some time ago, and I'm not going to get off into it, but there were some things going around. Uh, I've, I've spoken at great length with some of our ministry here about being able to begin our prayer in the Holy of Holies and work our way out. In other words, I was posed this question. That in comparing the Lord's prayer to the tabernacle of the Old Testament, they said, would you, would you tell your children to repent before you were willing to give them bread? And I said, well, first of all, I think we've misconstrued the idea of what daily bread is. But I, I, I want to make something very crystal clear in this room tonight, okay? This is dangerous doctrine, and I want to tell you why. Because I am not holy enough to be in his presence without the altar of sacrifice and the laver in my life. I am not holy enough to wake up in the morning and say, because I'm your son, I deserve to start my day off in your presence. That is scary preaching. If you're going to come to him, you're going to come to him on his terms and him not coming to you on your terms. That is not how it works. Is that all right? Can I preach that to somebody in here? Don't ever let anybody tell you. I don't care who they are. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you have a right to his presence without repentance. Woo. That's worth an amen or an oh me one or the other. <laughs> it's scary to me. It's scary to me that there is a spirit of the age, and I believe that's what it is. I don't mean any disrespect, okay? I, I mean no disrespect. But I believe it's a spirit of the age. You know, I've, I've, never seen, I've never seen a generation that feels like they are owed so much. Now, I, I know this is going to make some people uncomfortable, so just... Put on your big boy britches and deal with it, I guess. We live in a society that people think we owe them everything. 
whatever you want. Just you mean I, I have to work? Oh my lord. You know the thing I like about the Bible, it takes a lot of pressure off me. Because it's the scripture, not me, it's not rhetoric. The scripture said that if a man don't provide for his family, he is worse than an infidel. It says that if a man don't work, then a man don't eat. And any system that replaces that thought and idea in your life is contrary to the scripture. Can I just preach this tonight and tell you this is sidetracked. But I want to tell you, we need some people that will understand the value of having to work in this hour. Why is that so important, Pastor? Because it's a spirit. It's a spirit. It's lazy. And we think that we are owed things in life just because it's coming to us. <laughs> I'm going to let this settle in here until the tea bag gets good and wet. Come on, I'm going to turn your water dark right here for just a minute. I want this to get saturated in your mind. I love you precious people. I'm so honored to be your pastor. I thank God for you. Every time you cross my mind, I thank God at every remembrance for this precious church. I love you people, and I'm thankful that you believe in me. But you listen to what I'm telling you right now. I am not good enough to just walk in his presence. I am not good enough to just walk on this platform and start preaching because I read a book that told me how to preach. We have replaced pursuing the presence of God and the experience that comes with it with the experience of exhilaration. I talked to you about this a little bit this morning, but we are addicted to a feeling. We are not addicted to his presence. And that's why the Lord said, I want you to start with the place where my presence is. I don't want people getting addicted to all of this. I want them to feel my presence. I want them to see my presence. And that's what I want them to pursue why didn't he make every piece of furniture in the tabernacle that could stand on its own you ever thought about that in his plan the ark of the covenant is the only thing that could stand on its own without the help of anything else and we have biblical precedent for that because even the things that he put inside of it, even the things that he put inside of it, you, 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 you do understand, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here just a little bit, but it's important for us to get this principle. That when the ark was taken, they took that pot of manna, because everybody wants provision. Oh my. And they took that budding rod of Aaron, because everybody wants miracles. But guess what they left behind? The tablets of stone, the law, the word. Is that not a picture of this generation? Just give us the money. Give us the food. Give us the miracles. And you keep the word. We don't want the word. We just, got, we just want God to be our sugar daddy. That whatever we ask, we get the miracles, we get the signs, and we get the wonders. But it don't cost us anything. But do you know that when the children of Israel began to worship the Lord, even without that pot of manna and the budding rod of Aaron in it, do you know, can you believe, I know you can't, can you believe that the word of God that was left in that ark was still enough? Can you believe that the ark by itself was still enough? Because it was never about the manna and it was never about the rod. It was about the glory on the mercy seat. Oh, God. 
trying to help somebody in here tonight. We can get so caught up. Jesus tried to teach this. He, he, re he really did. Jesus tried to teach this. That it's possible to get out of balance with the law in your life. I, I, uh, I kind of get tired of hearing the doctrine that Jesus started breaking the laws to show people that it wasn't necessary anymore. You can't find a law that he broke in the Bible. Not one. Yes, he did, because he let his disciples take barley on the Sabbath. You know what he did? He exposed the spirit of the law. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And he said, I loved it, because when these, when these priests came up, they're like, are you really going to let them eat? I love it, because he threw something at them that they knew. He said, do you remember when David walked into Ahimelech? Do you know that David walked into Ahimelech, the high priest, and he ate the holy bread? But, uh, well, are you saying you're David? That's what they asked. Go read it. So you think, so you think you're David? But he's the only one I know that can say, I'm actually the root and the offspring. There's something, there's something that has to transpire in us in this modern church age. And, you know, I, I don't really know how to combat, how to combat this because I certainly, I certainly uh, won't be getting any invitations probably to preach on TBN anytime soon. But, I, oh Lord. Y'all ready to be dismissed? I think I lost you right there. But I want, you, I want you to hear what I'm saying to you right now. God has placed me in this city, in this pulpit, to be a watchman on the wall. And I want you to be having your guard up against the spirits of the age that say because we show up every week, we deserve revival. No, we don't. You don't just show up and get the glory. But you'll never get the glory without showing up. There's got to be something in you that is so hungry. Once you've seen the glory, you'll do whatever you've got to do to get back to the glory. David got tired of going through the motions in Israel without the Ark of the Covenant. They could still go through everything else. But it wasn't the altar sacrifice that was missing. Listen, when the temple was built, they had to build a new altar because the sacrifice was greater. And, and if I'm not careful, I'm really going to get sidetracked right here. But Solomon's approach to the temple being built was not less sacrifice. It was more altar. The temple was so much bigger and they had so much more sacrifice to bring. They said, well, there's not room for it, so what should we do? He said, push pause. We're going to build a bigger altar. But do you understand... They never built another ark. Altars may expand. Lavers may expand. But you can't make his glory any greater than it is. You will never be able to make him any greater than he is. And that's why he don't need me to prop him up. He don't need me to lie about results. He don't need me to say 5,000 got the Holy Ghost when really it was just 50. We call that evangelistically speaking. God rest his soul. I'm going to tell him a papa right now. My granddaddy lived in, in a different world. He loved missions. 
and he kind of lived in a, a, a different time about mission stuff, you know? And we, we get talking about crusades and stuff that happened overseas. And he told me one day, Mama, I won't tell the name, but he told me about a certain missionary. And he said, so help me God. He said, if as many people got the Holy Ghost as that man has said got the Holy Ghost through the years, everybody in that country would have the Holy Ghost five times. I can just, I can just hear. Everybody in that country gets the Holy Ghost every time they have a crusade. Look, I don't have to prop God up. I don't need to feed the community a bunch of numbers. And I don't need Facebook to glorify God. There's nothing wrong with it. But I don't have to have Facebook to glorify God. Because before they ever had Facebook, they had a tabernacle. And the tabernacle had an ark. His glory. Ah. Don't build the outer court first. Don't build the altar sacrifice first. I want my presence to be revealed. And everything else is built around me. Are you hearing what I'm preaching to you right now? He said your first focus is my presence. Everything else is built around that. Because if you start teaching about sacrifice to people that have never felt my presence, they'll always resent sacrifice. But if they've ever been exposed to my presence, it'll never cost too much. I just, you know, Brother St. Clair, I mean, I just don't think that's necessary for me to go to heaven. Why does everything got to be about heaven? You do understand, he never said anything to them about building that gate, walking in, I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving. He never said anything to them about that altar sacrifice, that lever, the golden candlestick, the, the table of incense, the altar of incense, and the table of shoe bread. He never said anything about it. If you walk past that altar and sacrifice, you can go to heaven. That was never the intent. The intention was, if you're willing to sacrifice, it puts you another step closer to my presence. If you're willing to wash yourself and reflect in that, you can get even closer. When you walk through them five posts, and you walk into that holy place and close the curtain, you're going to see that candlestick is the only light in the room. Because his spirit will illuminate the darkest corners of your life. I don't do everything I do because it's going to send me to hell if I don't. Some things I do because I love to be close to his presence. Oh. God, help us tonight. I'm tired of our movement redefining boundaries because we don't think it's necessary to make it to heaven there will be folks on judgment day that find out how little you can do to make it now I'm just being honest there's probably going to be folks there that I'm, I'm going to be surprised they made it that probably sounds ugly but I would imagine there will be a few folks there that when I, if I see them as they are, I'm going to be like, you don't say. <laughs> Nobody I've ever pastored, just people I've met. <laughs> and I'll tell you something else that may shock your britches off. There's probably going to be folks there that are going to look at me and say, you don't say. That sorry sapsucker made it. Listen, 
my feeling about this is that heaven is the end reward. I don't want to just do what I have to do to make it to heaven. I want to live my life engaged with his presence. I want to live my life in a place where heaven can invade my space and it's holy enough that he don't mind dwelling with me and I'm holy enough that he don't mind letting me be seated with him in heavenly places. Mm. Somebody shout yes. yes. What time is it? Oh, Lord. Mm. I'm on my way. I ain't got the landing gear yet down, but it's coming. I want you to build your life in such a way that you start with my presence and everything else revolves around that. How contrary is this to today's society? Oh, boy. I know y'all just wanted me to move right on past this. How contrary is it to our society today that we seek first the kingdom of God? I, 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 I know this is, it, it's just silly. I'm, I'm exposing the spirit of the age. I'm exposing. We have lost reverence in this nation. We've, we've lost reverence. We're wondering why people don't reverence the house of God. I'm going to tell you why. Some folks don't reverence anybody. It ain't a school teacher problem. There's some teachers we could do without. There went that lead balloon. Do you know, do you know why? Oh, God, here we go. Do you know why people are screaming and yelling in the face of officers? Let me tell you. Because they were raised like thug punks. That were told you don't have to respect your teachers either. Oh, boy, I'm going to make old Zuckerberg happy tonight. There, there's something to be said about a generation. When I, when I was a kid, and uh, I, think, I think Elvis may be the only one in here that went to, I think he's the only one in here went to care. Is there anybody else in here? No? We're the only two that survived? Ben did, yeah. But not with me. He was a young pup. I went when there was real trouble. I was pointing at his wife. She didn't go there. Look, I'm going to tell you the issue. When I was a kid, if I, if I got in trouble with Margot Jones, she didn't get in trouble with my parents. If I got in trouble with Miss Jones, I got in trouble with my parents. I ain't lying. It set a precedent in my life that you don't defy authority and come home and get by with it. And our kids need to be faced with that same reality. If you get pulled over, it's not because the cop is an idiot. It's because you were speeding. And if... Here it comes, Lord, you're on the tee, baby doll. And if you get convicted at church, it's not because the pastor. Is an idiot. It's because we need a move of God in our lives. I can say this tonight. Because before I was a pastor, I was a saint. And I want to tell you, I don't want nobody preaching to me that's going to sugarcoat this and water it down. I'm saying preach, preacher. Preach the word. Preach life. Don't give me no jiggly jelly salvation. I want a solid rock 
foundation. Some of the pulpits in America are filled with people that have the personality of a jellyfish. They can't survive out of their own environment, and if you get in theirs, they'll sting you. We need some people that can walk through the doors of this church and know this ain't like any other church. Why are you saying that, Pastor? I don't mean that to sound arrogant. But the apostolic churches in every city in America need to be an epicenter of the supernatural. And when people walk into our churches, they need to feel the presence of God. And that way, when you start telling them about the altar of sacrifice, it's never a problem. <laughs> well, they need to be fixed. Yeah, but they need to understand worship first. We're one of the only groups I know of that start skinning fish while they're in the water. Tell me I'm lying. My father-in-law, bless his heart, he was working in a church one time in a state here in the 50 and he that was pretty broad wasn't it well I mean if you know him, he pastored in Canada too and it didn't happen there so I'm just telling you and he was working in this church he brought some life and energy into it I mean he was laid back but he brought energy to the church if you knew my father-in-law that's the biggest lie I've ever told my father-in-law man he was preaching in this little church he got to booming and growing things were happening there was an older pastor there that ran it down to about 15, 20, 25, something like that. My father-in-law came in, man, the place started getting happy, good things happening, started winning people to the Lord. He said, he said one Sunday, there were guests just coming from everywhere. He said, stand, stand there. He said, the old pastor went over to the door. He was standing at the door. And this young guy came up, and my father-in-law said, he looked like a hippie. And said he had this long hair, and whatever and so he came he came walking up to the door and my father-in-law was so excited he's like whoa we got guests coming here and the old preacher reached his hand out and shook his hand he said I think it's about time for a haircut don't you son <laughs> my father-in-law said I knew that's when I was gonna have problems It never ceases to amaze me how hungry we are to get the glory for turning somebody's life around. If somebody comes to this church and their life gets turned around and they get delivered, it's not because I'm a good pastor. It's because we have kept the presence of God in this house. I can't preach good enough to deliver somebody that's been addicted to drugs all their life. But one moment in the presence of God and he will turn their life around. Oh, God have mercy. Everybody doing all right? You must first find me and build everything else around that. Because worship happens in his presence. Now, I'm not going to go into the difference in praise and worship, but everything that hath breath can praise him. But not everything that hath breath can worship him. Because worship happens in his presence. Praise can happen anywhere. But there's something about the presence of God. You can't stand up and take the glory for anything in his presence. You bow. Because he's so powerful and he's so mighty. 
you've transitioned over the crest of praise that gives him adoration and thanks for what he's done. And you enter into his presence on the mountaintop of Zion. And all of a sudden, it's not about what he's done. Now it's about who he is. Because praise gets us in the habit, and we ought to. Every morning when I wake up, that I do my very best, unless I really am in a hurry to go other places. And uh, when I set up in the bed, first thing in the morning when my eyes pop open, I say, Lord, great are you. Thank you for restoring my soul unto me. Great is our faithfulness. Listen, we ought to praise him every day. We ought to thank him every single day. But understand me when I tell you, it's a special place when you go where it's not just about praising him for your car, and it's not just just about thanking it for your house and it's not just about the clothes on your back it's a matter of knowing that if I lost my car and my house and my clothes I still got his presence and that's enough anybody that knows me knows I like shoes I do I like them and I don't like buying no cheap pieces of junk either I like good shoes that's going to last You've been preaching, you're sweating, and your shoes are going. You want some good ones? I'll keep good cedar shoe trees in them because I don't want them smelling like Fritos. But I want to tell y'all something about your pastor. I'm just being honest with you. I've danced in some nice dress shoes, but I can dance without them. I've danced in some nice suits, but I can dance without them too. Because it's not always just about what he's given me. (laughs) God's good whether I get the raise or not. God's good whether I get the house. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hurry. Do you know what worship is? It's an automatic prioritizer. Is this all right? Y'all have heard me talk about this, but I wasn't raised in no weak jellyback church. I was raised with some strong saints. Amen. And I'm blessed to pastor some of them to this day. Amen. I'm glad Sister Reno came home. I like it. Praise God. I don't know if she knows this or not. My mom tell me this all the time. When she was a kid, my mom would say, I learned to love prayer because of Sister Potter. Well, she'd tell me. My dad told me about how Sister Darla would keep them in line, too, in that youth group. That's true. I pastor some good folks in this church. I'm going to tell you. I want to tell y'all something. We got our priorities out of alignment in this day and hour. We do. I'm not kidding. I've preached this all over the country and even around the world. That we got some confusion in our minds. And let, let me just break this down. I'm going to hurry and get you out of here. But we are confused with faithfulness and sacrifice. I'm going to let that settle in like a ton of bricks. I said, we've got faithfulness and sacrifice confused. Because what this generation calls sacrifice, the old church just called faithfulness. See, now when we get to the place where we got to turn down overtime to be in the house of God, we say, that was a sacrifice. Oh, no. That was faithfulness. When farmers shut off their tractors and said, it's Sunday morning. I'm going to the house of the Lord. And all their neighbors kept on working. And they come to the house of the Lord. And it's always amazing to me that somehow they got all their crops in the ground and got all their crops in the barn and would never miss the house of God. When I was a kid, we had testimony service a lot. It's too dangerous now. It is. 
It is. <laughs> Y'all ain't been in some of the same services I have, apparently. <laughs> oh, God, help us, Jesus. Dad and I had a little meeting in the office, and I said, we're not, we're not just opening the floor anymore. <laughs> oh, God. I know things about people I should have never known. <laughs> but testimony services, were, they were pretty good when I was a kid. Some of them were predictable. How many of y'all been to church here 30 years? So you know what I'm talking about. Truly most thankful. Anybody know who's that, who that is? Truly most thankful. I've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sin. Jim Pettigrew. I love that name Jesus because it truly, ha! Ah! Anybody know who that was? Edward Murth. We had pretty good testimony service, and he'd get hopping on one leg all the way across. It was good. But there were some neat testimonies that would transpire. I'm going to share, I'm going to share some that had a common theme, okay? I'm not going to just pick on one person. These were the kind of testimonies we'd hear a lot. I was short on money this week. And I only had enough gas in my car to either come to church on Sunday or work on Monday. Am I lying? This is how I was raised. And they'd get up on Wednesday night and say, but Sunday, I got up and came on to church anyhow. And when I woke up on Monday morning, I had enough fuel in my tank to get to work. There's no confusion what just happened. You put worship first. It's not a sacrifice to be in his presence. It's not a sacrifice to be in his house. I, I'm wrapping up. I've been here too long. We, we, we got to. We got to. We got to seek him first. Let everything else build around that. Because I'm going to tell you, I've also heard some testimonies of people that were willing to be honest and say, I didn't seek him first. And he had to remove some things out of my life that I'd put in front of him. And now I make less money than I made, but I'm happier than I've ever been because I learned the value of putting God first. The ark represents his presence. It was built of wood, the underlayment that represents the humanity of Jesus Christ. The thing you need to know about Jesus is that he was not deity humanized, nor was he humanity deified. He was perfectly God and perfectly man. He wasn't an afterthought of God. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But that wood that represented the flesh of God was overlaid with gold that represented his divinity. And the staves that carried the ark symbolized to you and I that God wants to go wherever we go and he wants us paying attention to when he's moving. And when he gets to moving, he wants us to moving. That's why he said, set your tent up with the door facing the tabernacle and you can see that glory cloud. That's why those rings are on there and why the staves are in there. When my glory starts moving, I want my church to be moving. Hey, can I just preach right here and y'all not think I'm being ugly? It's time to get our tent doors turned away from our jobs. It's time to get the tent doors turned away from Hollywood and entertainment and Little League. It's time to put the tent door towards the house of God. The world has defined parenthood by soccer moms and baseball dads. But we're defining the family as men of prayer and men of valor and women of faith that will invest in their children and bring them to the house of God. It's in Deuteronomy 31 and 6 that the Lord said, I'll never leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. 
You know why those rings were on there and the staves were on there? Because when you walk through the valley, the ark goes with you. When I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For thou! He was not talking about his omnipresence. He was talking about his manifested presence. There's a surety in my heart that when I'm in the valley of darkness and death and it's all around me and the news is scaring everybody to death and we don't know what's going to happen there, I can say bring it on because I'm in his presence. I've been in his presence and no matter what happens, I'm going to stay in his presence. When you climb the mountain, Abraham, he'll be with you. And when you've gone as far as you can go, you're going to hear a rustling in the thorn bush over here in the thicket. And there's going to be a hand that reaches down and reminds you, you've never climbed a mountain by yourself, son. I feel like telling somebody in here tonight, worship first is important. Because when we make worship our priority and the presence of God our priority, we find out that even when we're walking through a battle and a dark season, there is a presence that is with us that will not forsake us and will not leave us. I feel like reaching for somebody tonight and telling you there is a way that you're going to come through this. I started my greeting with this tonight, so let me finish like this tonight. I know you may not feel like there's any way out but just know this you're coming through and God is with you let's stand let's stand oh God why would you start with the ark first because his presence have got to be a priority when his presence become your priority Nothing else in your life will ever cost too much when you've been affected by his power. Worship is an automatic prioritizer because once you have embraced and felt his presence, there is nothing else that's more important to you than being in the presence of God. I'm praying that God shakes us and... and, and I, these altars, are, they're, they're open. I'm getting ready to just kind of give this an open call. But I want to tell you, I've been asking God to prioritize some things in the hearts of this precious assembly. Some of us have made priorities in our lives, being sure we get to upgrade the house, being sure we get to upgrade the car. But I believe that God is bringing us to a place for His coming where we start seeing basic principles come to life in us. That he would rather have more of our time than he would more of our tithe. Can I say that again? He'd rather have more time than he would more tithe. You know, some would look at my life for the Harrison, they'd think I missed out on so much. My mom and dad threw me in a travel trailer, my, my sister drug us around the country. I told my wife stories about the evangelist field. She'd get teary-eyed. She said, that is so sad to me. I'm like, sad? What are you talking about? Great years. Slept in a sleeping bag on the floor every night. I just thought that was life. How you doing? In service over 350 times a year. Whoa. How in the world do you guys have family game time? We didn't. My dad said, we don't play games. My dad said, I quit school because it made me go to recess. I ain't playing. <laughs> Every night of my life, if we weren't traveling to church, we were in church. And I'd climb up on them drums, look like a little monkey, five years old, playing the drum. I got no regrets. been catching my kids on their phones lately when I walk in I'm ready to fire it up What's, what are you doing what are you watching right now and they're like we're watching Sunday night I'm like oh okay wonder what would happen please 
No, I'm not just trying to beat a dead horse here. I'm here on an assignment from God tonight. If we'd make the presence of God so real in our family that before we figured out where to put that new 65-inch flat screen, we'd figure out a way to put a family altar in the house. So this is where he'll meet us. When you think about how blessed we are, every head bowed. Please know I'm not trying to guilt anybody into the goodness of God. Please understand. I'm just telling you, we're blessed. We're so blessed. Nobody in here has gone without meals. And I wonder how many meals we've sat down to eat. And we don't even bow our head anymore and say, thank you, Lord, for the food. Because we just know we're going to have a meal on the next one. I want God. I can't speak for any other church in the land because I don't pastor anybody else's church. And they're probably grateful. I'm telling you, I'm asking God to resurrect some things at FPC in Anderson, Indiana. That we begin to prioritize worship in our lives. First, we worship. And everything else is built around our worship. If you're here tonight and would be willing to say, Pastor, I've let my priorities get a little out of line. But tonight I want God to bring some things back into focus for me. You're willing tonight to say, Lord, I, I, I want to seek you first. I want to put you first. I'm just asking you right now, whether you step out in the aisle or you're right there where you're at, just kind of step out, come forward, whatever you feel. But make a move toward God right now. Make a move toward his presence right now. Say, Lord, I'm going to seek you first, whatever it costs. I worship you because of who you are. Jehovah.